So we, uh, we've been studying for a while now uh, Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and a series of messages that we've called uh, Jesus on Living the Good Life. And this week's message is entitled A Life That's Pleasing. Now, in my preparation this week for the message, I, I was reminded of a recent experience of our grandchildren. Uh, it was on, uh, often we take them, uh, uh, Beckett and Sam, on a, a Thursday night into Friday, and it was on such occasion. But the star of this story is our grandson, Samuel, when during our mealtime prayer together, which is actually, I don't know what you call it, I call it a participation prayer. Uh, uh, it's where uh, either Grammy or I start the prayer, Dear Lord or Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for... And then everybody around the table, as we hold hands, gives thanks for something that they're thankful for, okay? Uh, and, you know, like we're thankful for the food, we're thankful for the sleepover, we're thankful for family, and most of all, we're thankful for Jesus who died on the cross, okay? And then at the close of the prayer, we all say together, in Jesus' name, amen, right? And so, but on this occasion, just a couple weeks ago, Samuel cut to the chase because after I started the prayer, dear Lord, we thank you for, he just real bold and real Solid just jumped in, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and then he looked up with this big old smile like he'd done something good, you know, and, and uh, it was, I mean, he was pretty pleased by the whole thing, you know, and uh, so I had to explain like, well, we should probably give thanks for something before we say amen, but anyway, he was, you know, and when that happens, when it's a little boy or a little girl, whatever, uh, whether you're a parent or grandparent, it's hard not to laugh, you know, it's like, it's kind of funny, but, but we're, you know, where do you think that little public display of righteousness came from? <laughs> right? I mean, whose attention do you think that little child's trying to attain? The Lord's or perhaps the attention of others? Okay? Or maybe a better question this morning or a more inclusive question would be is, is when we as adult Christ fathers do those kind of things, you know, public displays of righteousness, even here today on this fine Lord's Day Sunday, who are we trying, who, who are we seeking to please? Are we seeking to please the Lord, or are we seeking to please one another? Well, I don't know, but when it's a little child uh, who's not yet mature, it's one thing, but in real life, well, the point Jesus is going to make in this section of the Sermon on the Mount is no, no, no to public displays of righteousness, no to seeking the attention of others, no to doing things in order to please others. Instead, he's going to cut right to the heart, of, living, of what living the good life is all about uh, when he encouraged his followers to seek to please their heavenly father. Okay, he said, seek to please your heavenly father. He encouraged them not to be people pleasers and not to seek self-worth by performance. In fact, this section of Jesus' sermon at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 6 speaks to those of us who are people pleasers, who hunger for praise, those who have a hard time saying no to anyone because, well, we like to be liked. Okay, we like to be like, and so if you're someone who's thinking, uh, I wonder what those people think of me, I mean, do they like me? If you're one of those, I, I mean, when you, when, when you think they don't, it, it, is it more like, oh, it's so depressing that they don't like me, you know? Let me ask you this then this morning. Do you ever feel like all life is a stage performance? And you're under pressure to please the crowd and avoid their disapproval. Like even when it comes to serving God, instead of seeking God's approval and what's pleasing to him, instead of, you know, doing that, which is a motive that results in living the good life, do you instead find yourself more concerned about what other people think? Which, if you're honest with yourself, doesn't really feel like the good life because it's so pressure-packed, right? 
Because listen, friends, if you struggle with those kinds of people-pleasing issues, and I think we all do to a degree, uh, but if this really kind of smacks you in the face this morning, you know, would you pay particular attention this morning as Jesus gets right to the heart of it all, as he encourages us to seek only God's approval? So the good life question today that we're going to ask is, so who, who are you trying to please? And if you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And in this passage today, uh, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples on how the good life with God is lived. And he, he's giving them, he's going to start out here with a warning, okay? And it's a warning against public displays of righteousness, a warning against self-promotion. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, here's what he says. He says, here's the warning, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, you know, to, to be honest, we pretty much admitted last week. You remember last week we took a survey, like, I ask you, who likes to be liked? Remember? And, and like everybody, just about everybody, I'm sure there's one or two nonconformists, you know, that said, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, but most of us admitted we like to be liked, okay? We like to be liked. Who, I mean, who, what kind of person doesn't want to be liked? Oh, I don't want anybody like me. We like to be liked, okay? So we took a little survey last week, and, and we agreed that we like to be liked, uh, you know? I mean, as babies, we, we cry to get attention. As little children, we ask, watch me, Mommy, watch me, Daddy. As elementary-age children, we want our loved ones to come see us in the school play, even if we're paying, playing the part of a tree, you know? As teenagers, we wanted more than anything to be popular, so we dressed the part, we talked the part, we did whatever it required to be part of the so-called in-crowd, even those who were part of that non-conform crowd you know that said uh, I'm, I'm not going to be part of that they had their own way to draw attentions i mean if short hair was in they had long hair if long hair was in they had green hair you know and if it didn't if that didn't do it then we had saggy pants and tattoos and potty, you know body piercings and and for a while the nonconformist thing to do was to wear trench coats you remember that one long trench coats like in july that makes a lot of sense you know i don't know i don't know what it is now for the men i don't know beards maybe I don't know, you know, I, I'm saying that because I can't grow one, okay? But I bet you if I came in here next week with green hair, that would get somebody's attention. Uh, it might not be good attention, but it would definitely scream, look at me, right? Look at me, okay? Now, most of, most of us are conformists, though. We're conformists. We try to get, you know, put ourselves in a position to be like, so our lawns look just so. We have cars that are, you know, so new. Our house has to be so big. We wonder what sometimes, and sometimes maybe what will the neighbors think? Truth be told, we want our neighbors' approval. We want people to think good of us. And you know what, church fan, and I'm especially talking to those whispering, not me. That's not me. You wanting people to think good of you, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because the Bible teaches us to be concerned about our witness, okay? It tells us that the exercise of our freedoms and our actions is not to cause other people to stumble. And the Apostle Paul said, we, we are to be all things to all people that we might win some. So it's not a bad thing, but Jesus warns us to be careful that we don't let that pendulum swing too far, you know? That we don't get caught up in the trap of doing good things just to be seen by other people. In other words, we're not to become people pleasers. And the reason is because, because well, it'll cause us to pretend, pretend to be somebody that we're not, okay? You know, back in August, Margie and I, we were on vacation in New York. We went out to eat at this little rural restaurant. 
uh, along this wee little finger lake in New York, and, and we went with our lifelong friends, Bob and Terry Heller. Uh, you've heard me speak of them before. But the restaurant that we ate at was, had a pretty, it was called Cozy Corners, okay? And it was. It was a pretty casual atmosphere. The waiter who came out to wait on us was a young man dressed in jeans wearing a baseball cap. And while I thought that was a bit odd, the baseball cap part, you know, I thought, nonetheless, he, I noticed he was polite, he was knowledgeable their menu, and overall, he was a pretty good waiter. I mean, he was on it, okay? I mean, that was my first impression, okay? And then I looked over at the wall of the restaurant there, and I noticed his, there was a picture of him on the wall, okay, with that same baseball cap, and I thought, he must wear that all the time, okay? And, and, but there was a sign there just above that picture that noted that he was the previous month's employee of the month. And I thought, well, I already thought he was a good waiter, but the tip just got, I always try to tip good, whether they're a good waiter or not, because I just think it's good to do that as a Christian, but his tip went up. I'm thinking, he's, he's, he's the real deal. He's employee of the month, right? Tip went up. Now, is that why the restaurant does that, though? So that the customer tips go up for the employee? You know, I mean, is that why schools have students of the month and teachers of the month? Is that why in sales organizations all across the country at the end of the week and when they have meetings, they announce that week's top salesperson so that the, that breeds confidence in their customers that they've got successful people? You know, no, 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 not, not, that, that might be a side benefit, you know, but no, the reason they recognize their employees with special recognition is because people like to be liked, okay? They like to be liked, and some like to be liked more than others. I mean, they really like it, okay? In fact, they get addicted to it, okay? I mean, they got to have it. I mean, these are people Facebook created the like button for, right? You know the like button people? Yeah, yeah. Like, so they post pictures of themselves and their friend, you know, friends and put it up there for everyone to see, and then they keep checking back to see how many likes they got. You know, if that's you, then you're maybe one of these people, okay? Like, oh, I'm up to 127 likes, you know? And so many of you know I, I worked in the corporate world for 17 years in the financial services field, and I was in sales, and every Friday about 40 sales reps would gather in this meeting room, and, and, and the district manager would come in and read the names of the top salespeople that week. Anything over like $100,000 in sales, you got your name read off, okay? And, and everybody would applaud and clap and hoot and holler, you know, to motivate. Why do they do that? To motivate their salespeople the following week. I want to I be one of those that gets my name read off because those people are alike. And it worked because there were some people so addicted to receiving the applause of people, they would falsify sales reports just to get their name read off. Okay, they would falsify reports so they could receive the praise of men because they so loved the praise of men. And you may say, you're kidding me, and they falsify and lie on a report just so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they, they did, and they knew. And listen, most of the time, the company didn't mind that much, okay, because they like it when people like to be liked. They, they strive to get their name read off. They work hard for that, you know, and you might say, well, that's lying, and that's wrong, and that's unethical. Yeah, and those individuals knew that was wrong, and they knew that was unethical, and they knew that was not really true, but they didn't do what was right and true because they loved the praise of men more than they loved what's right and true. You get me, church? Yeah, and as a result, they were that there was a lack of integrity there. Okay, now, is that really such a big deal? Someone would say, well, in the sales force, is that such a big deal? The boss would say, is that such a big deal? Well, we see how this kind of thing and how it can play out in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. When the Bible says that there were religious leaders that believed in Jesus, okay, so Jesus was out preaching his gospel, and these religious leaders, they believed in Jesus. They had faith in Jesus, 
But the Bible says there, because they were in a crowd of Pharisees, because of peer pressure, they would not confess their belief, their faith in Jesus Christ. They wouldn't say so. And the reason why, the Bible states, because they love praise from men more than praise from God. In other words, they knew what was true and they knew what was right, but they didn't do it because they loved the praise of men more. And so Jesus warns us here, I think because he knows to some degree, we all like attention. We all like to please people. Now, Jesus' warning in this passage, we should take note, just like we did last week, you know, uh, the qualifiers. Uh, this isn't about doing something evil, okay? Uh, this warning isn't about doing something evil. It's not about doing something. It isn't about some unrighteous act, okay? It's about doing righteous acts. It's about doing good deeds, you know, things that are generally or usually considered good and pleasing to God. So to be clear, it's not about doing bad things to be liked or approved of, and it's not about lying or cheating to gain the praise of others. It's about doing good, you know, in order to receive the praise of others, to be seen by others that you might be praised. So Jesus says, you be careful to not let your acts of righteousness be done before men, to be seen by them. Okay, now at first glance, uh, we might be tempted to say, well, hey, wait a minute. Isn't Jesus kind of contradicting the Bible here? I mean, isn't he kind of even con con you know, contradicting himself? Because didn't Jesus just the, say the opposite in the last chapter in Matthew 5, you know, uh, uh, when he said, uh, and we looked at this just a couple weeks ago, where he said, to do your good deeds before men. Do your good deeds before men, he said, to let our light shine before men, that men might see our good deeds and praise our heavenly Father. I mean, it's like in the very same sermon. So didn't Jesus say that and doing so, didn't he contradict himself now? The answer is no, <laughs> he did not. And to see that, we have to kind of, you know, what we have to do is what we do all the time here, church family, is we have to look at the context which precedes that verse because we all know in this church what context is it is. And so the context of Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus says, let your light shine before men, is found just a few verses before in Matthew 5, 11, when we read these words of Jesus. For he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, does that sound like a friendly environment? No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, were there insulting, persecuting, and, and saying evil things against Christians? No, it is not. No, it's, it's in a somewhat hostile environment to Christians that Jesus says, do your good deeds before men. And, and it's in this world of darkness that Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So yeah, in a somewhat hostile environment, acts of righteousness for people to see, that's good. Okay, now it's somewhat risky, mind you, okay, because it leads to what? Insult, persecution, and you know, they don't like you, okay? It's going to lead, it's risky. It could lead to insult and persecution, but it was risky for Jesus, but it's good. It's good. Here in chapter 6, verse 1, the text we're looking at today, Jesus is talking about a situation where it's popular to be one of God's people, or it's popular to be a Christian. In other words, it's a friendly environment, and in this friendly environment, Jesus is saying, hey, don't do good things, just impress those around you. That's not the, uh, don't, don't be a people pleaser. So let me ask you, church family, when you, when you consider the two different contexts, is Jesus contradicting himself when he says, no public acts of righteousness? Contradiction? No, no, he's not. Why not? Because the surrounding environment in which the public act of righteousness is done, I mean, one's friendly, the other's hostile. It's different. But listen, friends, it really goes much deeper than all that uh, when you think about it. But, and by deeper, I'm talking about going to the heart. Okay, let's get to the heart of the matter. I mean, Jesus 
just like his heavenly father is always looking at the heart of the person, the heart of the matter. And therein lies a person's motive, okay? It's the motive, okay? And in these two different situations or contexts, the motive is clear because there's a difference in basic motive behind public acts of righteousness in a hostile environment. I mean, it takes a different motivation to be good in that kind of environment because it could get you beat. Right. So, you know, uh, you know, and then a friendly one's entirely different when you say, speak to me, church. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when you shake it all out and boil down, the real definer is who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please other people? Are you trying to please your friends? Are you trying to please your heavenly father? Who who are you trying to promote? Are, are your good deeds about self-promotion to get yourself up the chain or are the good deeds about promoting Jesus Christ? So here's the bottom line on acts of righteousness. If at school in one of your classes or at work amongst your co-workers, someone, you find yourself with someone that's in a crisis, they, they need some assistance, you know, you let your light shine. You encourage them and pray quietly with them and your quiet good deeds brings the Father praise. At a church gathering or youth conference, if someone's in a crisis, same situation, but it's a different environment. You don't broadcast the event, say, hey, looky here, you know. You don't broadcast an announcement for a need of prayer. You just take them off to a quiet place and encourage them and pray with them, and your Heavenly Father will be pleased. The point is to do the right thing without calling any undue attention to yourself. And let me add this. Most people, most people are pretty perceptive, don't you think? I mean, over time. I mean, they can see what's real and what's not. And when it comes to, to which people end up being the most popular in the long haul, do you know who it is? It's not the people who love the center stage. Not that guy. Not really, okay? It's not those who try hard to act in such a way as to be liked. It's not them. It's those who just go about being supportive and being of service without any desire for fanfare. They just are good people, right? And it's, it, that's who. It's those who don't seem to care about what others think. For they are the most respected. They're the most loyal. You know, people see their loyalty. They see their support. They see their self-sacrificing lifestyle. That's the ones. That's the ones. But here's the thing about the good life. I mean, when you boil it all down, here it is. There's only one, listen now, there's only one opinion that counts. Right? Only one, one popular vote that's going to matter. And that's God's. Because on that day, when the Lord returns, you know, judgment day, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, on that day, what others thought of you, that's not going to matter. Because that, that's going to get you nowhere, okay? And how much people applauded you in the here and now on this earthly journey, that's not going to account for much in God's kingdom of heaven. It's just not. Because the only opinion, the only applause, the only praise that's going to count is the Lord's. Jesus said in verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verses 2 and 3. Jesus then goes on. After the warning, he's going, now he's going to give us an illustration to kind of establish that principle. In case you didn't understand, let me illustrate it for you. He's saying, here's the illustration. And it's an illustration, by the way, of a hypocrite. Okay? So it's, it's not a positive one. It's a negative one, just like the warning. So in verse 2, verse 3, Jesus says, so, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Now, in Jesus' day, 
uh, in the Jewish system of worship, the offering was, it's pretty close. Uh, we changed our offering method back during COVID uh, from passing plates to putting the boxes just inside the worship area. In Jesus' day, in that worship system, the boxes were just on the other side, okay, uh, in the public gathering area, like a foyer, you know, they were just on the outside, okay, where people would give their money as they come in, okay, and since their society used cash or coinage, that was their money system, there was a lot of clanging going on, okay, so, so you could draw attention by the amount of clanging you got going on when you gave your offering, you know, to, to those standing, uh, they'd be able to see what you put in, okay, so in Mark 12, the Bible tells us of just such a time, and it tells us of Jesus who sat down on the opposite opposite place of where the offering boxes were put where he with his disciples sat and watched as the crowd came in and put their money in the temple treasury this is what we read in mark chapter 12 verses 41b and 42 it says many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents and you know that passage if you know that passage a uh, uh, scripture then you know jesus told his disciples this one put in more than any of the rest and they're like what and he's like, because it's all that she had. She put in all that she had. She gave more. But the point Jesus really was trying to make was this, was that evidently the Pharisees desired to praise the men because they would wait until there were lots of people gathered out there in that gathering area, and then they would make a big show of the large amount of money that they gave. And make no mistake, Jesus wants us to know it's a show because he throws in the trumpet blaring like, right? Clang, 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 Right? He, Jesus throws in the trumpet. That wasn't me. That was Jesus throwing the trumpet, which announces the Pharisees' arrival and their contribution. You see, he's portraying what's really going on in their hearts. He's portraying them to be what they really are, and that is a bunch of hypocrites, you know, like actors in a play who are insecure or, or insincere in their giving to the poor. The point is that they didn't really give because they were concerned for the poor. They didn't do it for the glory of God. They did it to receive praise from men. Jesus reveals it. You know, people still do it today, right? I mean, they give to some worthy cause for public approval. Hospitals have whole wings or units named after their big contributors. The children's home where Margie and I used to work, a Christian organization used to work, had houses and buildings named after the contributors. To make sure there was no confusion that that was the case, they had big plaques on the front of every building named after those people, okay? On a smaller scale, high schools, colleges do this. They sell bricks for a walk walkway leading into the school give a hundred dollar donation and you get your name on a brick okay and the sales pitch usually goes like this though donation is for a good cause oh it's a good cause and if that doesn't get it uh you'll be remembered forever you see it's two different motivations right okay uh within within that like one gift promotes the good cause while the other is the promotion of your name right so if the good one doesn't get you we got this one too that's how it works, and that's exactly what Jesus challenges his followers to do here in the Sermon on the Mount. He challenges them to take the high road. He challenges them to raise the bar when he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, so we're clear here this morning. That doesn't mean when you pass by the offering boxes that you hold your wallet in your left hand, close your eyes and reach in with your right hand and just pull out whatever and put it in, okay? That way, not even you knows what you put in, okay? You will, because you'll check later, right? What did I give, right? Yeah, you will. Uh, that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, don't call attention to what you give. Don't bring up your generosity over and over again. Just simply give it. 
just give it and be content that God knows, okay? And I should probably note this, but when you give to this church, whether it be through the offering boxes, whether it be online or electronic banking, whatever means you use, when you give to this church, only God and our church treasurer know what you give, okay? That information is not shared with elders. It's not shared with the staff. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way we want it. That way there's no temptation to grant special status. There's no preferential treatment based on giving. It leaves us free to shepherd and if need be disciplined without thought to who gives what. We just don't know. Okay. Now someone might ask, so does all this mean that it's always wrong to give openly? Must all giving be anonymous? No, <laughs> not necessarily. In Acts chapter 4, verses 33 and 35, we see that the early church members who owned land and houses sold them and they came and laid the money at the apostles' feet in front of the gathering. Okay, So those in need, they did it so that those in need could be helped. That was the attitude of the church. And they sold stuff that could be shared, okay? And they brought that and they laid it. The same verse or same chapter, verse 36, that same chapter, it was Barnabas who sold a field and gave the money at the apostles' feet. And none of this was done in secret, but it was done right out in the open. And yet they're not chastised by the apostles, which we call that apostolic precedent. Something's done and they approve of it, okay? We know that's okay. Why? Because evidently their motives were pure. They could do it out in the open because their motives were pure. Their hearts were in the right place. On the other hand, at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, the very next chapter, we read of Ananias and Sapphira, who also sold a piece of property and gave their gift, okay, saying publicly that they were giving all, okay, when secretly they knew it was not all, it was only part, okay, but they were telling everybody all, trying to make the people think that they were more spiritual and generous than they really were. So their motives were pure, church family? No, they were not, okay? And for that, Peter and the apostles who knew by the Holy Spirit this was not true, this was not right, they chastised them, and God and his judgment had them both drop dead right there and right then. Dead. And everyone in the service that day got the point. For the Bible says, with fear, the fear of God gripped the people. Well, I reckon <laughs> that people start dropping dead will get your attention, Right? And listen, friends, we need to remember. So, so both cases there, their motives were not pure. And listen, friends, we, we need to remember this principle in all our acts of righteousness, not just giving. This isn't just about giving, for this applies to any act of righteousness, whether it be preaching the sermon, whether it be teaching a, a study group or caring for the sick or working in one of our volunteer ministries, even working in the kitchen or taking out the trash. For behind any and every act of spiritual service, there lies a motive, okay? And it can be done to please people and esteem uh, uh, you know, esteem self-worth, or it can be done because you sincerely care about people and you want to please God. And once again, Jesus reveals that living the good life, it's not a matter of keeping the law. It's not a matter about a set of do's and don'ts in every situation. It's bigger than that. It's for, it's the heartbeat. It's all about the heartbeat of the Christian. And J Jesus raises the bar by simply revealing that we serve a God who looks at your heart. He knows. He looks at your heart. Lastly, in verse 4 of Jesus, after warning, after an illustration to establish, he, he gives us a reason to be discreet, okay? A reason to be discreet. In verse 4, Jesus says, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And you may be noted in verse 1, it says, If you do it this way, the wrong way, there's no reward. If you do it this way, there is a reward, okay? Years ago, uh, there was this commercial ad, and I don't... I don't remember the product they were promoting. I don't remember the company. But what I do remember, and they had a whole string of them. Uh, the one I remember is this, uh, uh, this young man 
Uh, I assume he was a football player because he was in a huge football stadium. But I remember other ones where there were uh, women athletes doing this. But the, the common denominator is they were always doing this alone. But anyway, the one I remember, this athlete running up the stairs of this empty stadium. And I mean, uh, there's no one there to impress. It's this huge stadium, but there's nobody in there but him, okay? Nobody in there to impress, but he's up, he's doing it, and he's really working hard. He's going up and down those steps, really grinding out, and, and the sweat's just pouring out of him. I want to say it was a Gatorade commercial, but I, I think that's wrong, but anyway, and he, he, sweat's just pouring out of him, and it's this image of discipline and hard work, and then the ad points out, this is what I remember, is he's going through all this hard work now so that he can receive the reward of winning on the weekend. I mean, that image is kind of stuck in my mind. I, I don't know. Anybody remember that one? Yeah. What, what, do you remember who it was, the company? No, but you remember the ad, right? Same as me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember that one. Anyway, all these years later, it's kind of stuck there. And, and, and that's, that's also an image of the good life that we as Christ followers are supposed to have, okay? It's a life of discipline. It's a life of hard work. And the reward is eternal life in the kingdom of heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our, our God, our Father. And the reward is the reason we uh, discreetly, you know, in secret, you know, do these things, okay? It's the reason we deny ourselves. It's the reason we take up our cross daily and die to self, that we might hear the applause, not, not that we might hear the applause of him, but that we might receive the reward of, of our Father in heaven. And make no mistake, church family, we're all saved by grace okay we're talking about good deeds so I, I probably need to make this clear we are not saved by good deeds we are saved by grace all right unmerited favor none of us deserve it none of us discern it we're saved by grace not by good deeds salvation is a gift from god amen yeah you bet because otherwise good luck right but the bible does make it very clear having said that the bible makes it very clear that as his children we will be rewarded for our good deeds for our works in matthew 19 28 and 29 jesus said to them truly i tell you at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel and anyone anyone who is he has this whole list of stuff there has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life there'll be a reward Okay, and then Luke 19, Jesus tells a parable about judgment day, and he says one man's going to be rewarded with five cities and another man with ten. Okay, so we know there'll be different rewards. It's not the same thing. It's not like a participation trophy, right? Everybody gets rewards based on their good deeds, okay? And then in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, we get to the heart of the matter. The Bible talks about rewards on judgment day when it says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and he's talking about the foundation of the gospel, but if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, meaning judgment day, will bring it to light, and it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work, and if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward for it. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. In other words, they're still in, just not so many rewards. Now, when, the reading, when reading that last passage, uh, the question begging to be answered there is, so how do we know what works will pass the test of fire? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says just a few verses later in verse 5, when he states, therefore, since this is all true, judge nothing before the appointed time, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose what? 
the motives of the heart. The motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And there's that underlying principle once again, because be it Jesus' teaching or the Apostle Paul's teaching or one of the other, the Word of God is always the same on this matter. When it comes down to acts of righteousness and how God views them and rewards them, it's all about our motive. It's always about our motive. It's about our heart, okay? And for those good deeds uh, are, are to, you know, to achieve the praise of men or whatever honor they're going to bestow, you know, that, that's, if, if that's the motive, then whatever you get from men, that's all you're going to get, Okay? But if your motive is sincere, out of sincere concern for others, with the end goal of quietly pleasing your heavenly Father, then your heavenly Father will reward you many times over. And when his kingdom of heaven has fully come, you'll receive it. You'll receive it. You know, <clears throat> the holiday season's uh, soon upon us. Any, any, anybody checking that out already, looking for the sales and all that? Yeah, and uh, they come earlier every year, don't they? Anyway, Thanksgiving and Christmas is soon upon us, which means I was thinking about Thanksgiving this week, you know, which, you know, because the kids were already talking about when's the family gatherings, when's the family gatherings, and, and you know, uh, or maybe for you it's not a family gathering, it's a company party or maybe a gathering of friends, but the holiday season kind of brings those things about. These are special gatherings where you gather together for a big delicious feast with lots of food to feast on, Right? Uh, whether company parties, a lot of times at restaurants, family gather, usually in home. I was thinking of Thanksgiving this week, and my mind went to a big golden brown turkey. Big one. Even though we never have turkey on Thanksgiving. We don't. But in my mind, I love turkey, okay? But the kids all love ham, and my wife loves the kids. <laughs> so we'll put it that way, okay? And uh, so anyway, in my imagination, I'm imagining this big golden brown turkey. She does get a little turkey breast for me. It's either Thanksgiving or some other day. She loves me a little. And, uh, but anyway, I'm imagining this big golden brown turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy, Margus fam- famous stuffing balls with you know, golden brown, you know, hot yeast raised rolls with lots of butter, cranberry sauce, the kind that's like jelly, not the one with actual berries and you know, I love, the, I love the jelly stuff, okay? No one else does, but more for me, okay? And maybe some baked pineapple. Now, there's probably other stuff, but that, oh, yes, and for dessert, freshly baked strawberry rhubarb pie. Or if I'm really selfish, I make gooseberry because no one else likes that. And uh, anyway, anybody getting hungry here this morning? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, and there may be more, and there is more. She has more, but that's the good stuff that I hunger for. And my wife, Margie, she can make the good stuff. Okay, she's a great cook. Okay, so lots of good stuff. Now, my question is, have you ever done this? Whatever the place, whatever the occasion, you're invited to someone's house or a special re- you know, a restaurant for a holiday meal, company, whatever it may be, for a feast, okay? And you don't eat all day. Anybody ever do this? I'm not going to eat all day, so I'm really hungry, so I can really chow down. Anybody? We're in church. <laughs> Anybody? Come on now. Yes, okay, yeah, there it is. Everybody, okay, yeah. So you're not going to eat all day. And it's just about time to leave, okay? Maybe an hour before, and your brain tells you, you are starving, right? You are starving. You're not going to make it there, you know? So you open up the cupboard, and you pull out the peanut butter and jelly. Anybody? Okay, or my my two go-tos, peanut butter and jelly, but that's dangerous because I can eat that all day. Okay, and I like it as much as turkey, but uh, usually what I go for is there's always a couple of those hot dogs, hot, I know, the, the stuff they put in, some of you are going like, ew, hot dogs, yeah, I like them, 
okay? And, and, and they're not that big. You know, they're not that big. But so you're hungry, and you're not going to make it, so you open the fridge, you pull out a couple of those nasty hot dogs, and you nuke them in the microwave, which is, you know, and you eat them just to take the edge off. Anybody? Come on, we're in church. Or it doesn't have to be hot dogs. It could be peanut butter, jelly, whatever. Uh, my wife would have uh, graham crackers with peanut butter in it. And, you know, or saltines with peanut butter in it. You know, something like, yeah, okay, yeah. And then, and then you're off. So you, you just, just to take the edge off, and then you're off uh, to this someone's house for this special meal feast. And as you drive over, the, your brain begins to tell you, oh, that was a mistake. You're, you're full, right? You're full, okay? And as you're seated at the banquet table of your special host, the goodies are passed around the table, and you're just taking a little, you know, and then the host gives you that look, you know, like, what's your deal? I've slaved over this all day, and that's it. Okay, I mean, it's like your mother-in-law looking at you. You know that one? Yeah, like, what's your deal over there, okay? Yeah, and I know this, you know, I know it sounds ridiculous, hot dogs over delicious fixings. So let me ask you, my dear friends, on this fine lane store Sunday, where we all tell the truth, have, have you ever done anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, you have, and so have I. And the truth is, most of us have. And that's exactly why Jesus says, you be careful. Because the sinful nature is so subtle, right, that it can defile even the good intentions that we start out with. I mean, we start out with good motives, okay? We intend to wait for the good stuff. But our sinful motives are always close by, seeking to deceive us and then take us captive. So the point is, we need to always check our motives, always, always. It can start out good, but it can turn. You know, Satan's so slippery that way. If our motive is to get the praise of people, then it will, it will be us that calls attention to what we're doing. If you catch yourself calling attention to what you're doing, that's what that is. You're seeking the praise of men. And in doing so, if we do that, we rob ourselves of God's blessing and his reward. But if our motives remain pure and we hold out and we seek only to serve God in love, thereby pleasing him, then we'll give our gifts without calling attention to them. And then we'll grow spiritually and we'll help others. Others will be helped, and God will be glorified. So this is Jesus' message to us on living the good life, okay? He says, you be careful. Don't settle for a couple hot dogs when you can have the whole feast, for truly, it's worth the wait. And all God's people said, let's pray that it might be so. Father, we we come today as uh, people who are weak, and, uh, and sometimes we just, we know what's good and we long for what's good. We're kind of like the, the writer of Romans says, that we seek to do the good things, but we find ourselves falling short all the time, slipping and falling and doing that which we dearly don't want. So Lord, I pray today that uh, as we prepare to leave this place, as we prepare for the seasons of giving ahead of us, Lord, that, uh, that we would have eyes that see and that we would have hearts that are true. And then we wouldn't worry about being pleasing to people, but that our eyes would always be on you, that we would play for the audience of one, that we would seek to please you, that we would do things in secret just because you would have us do it. You would have us do it. And because we desire to do it, because the Spirit tells us this is good. Your word tells us this is good. So, Lord, we pray that we'd be strong, not that we'd walk in our own strength, but that we'd walk in the strength that only you can provide, where holiness and, 
impurity reside. Lord, we pray it would be so. We pray it would be so that Jesus would receive all the glory, for it's his, in his kingdom's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song this morning. Uh, it's a, it's a, um, a song of response, and if you uh, need to respond to God's word today, we have those that will pray with you and share with you and talk with you, and you have a decision for Christ that you want to make, you can do the same. We just ask that you make your way down, and we'll help you with that. And, uh, uh, and uh, so if you have that need, we invite you to come as we stand and sing the song of response. Won't you come? <laughs>